Peter Day Lewis is living in my fucking garage roof. <laughs> <laughs> I'm play I'm playing a man who lays insulation, Cormac. Alright, all right, Daniel, fuck's sake, get out of the roof. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Movie Chef podcast where we make a meal out of movies. This week with a very special movie menu that we'll come on to in a minute. First of all, the ying to my yang, my brother from an Irish mother. What beer are you on? What, what, the, what bees! Can... <laughs> the bees! The bees! <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm off the beer now and I am on to a lovely Sauvignon Blanc uh, 19... No, it's 2019. 2019. <laughs> yeah, my dad always... My, the, the few things my father always taught me was always wear a condom. Mm-hmm. If, you wa- if you walk in with a lady... By All, the, always, always wear a condom. That's what he told me. Always. Yeah, listen, I'm wearing one around. now. <laughs> I'm wearing one right now. But, um, if you walk in with a lady uh, on the pavement, walk on the roadside in case a, a puddle splashes you both. I really think you grew up in Victorian ages, but whatever. And he always said, beer and wine, you'll be fine. I, well, of course. Yeah, I, I to be honest, there. my granddad's saying of that was, wine then beer, you'll feel queer. Now, that was a different time. So, <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> let's, let's crack on. <laughs> I'm just saying, beer and wine, no hangover. Why did they get on the <laughs> right? Yeah, so, how are you? Yeah, fine. Um, yeah, no, Nicholas Cage. My, my, my granddad wasn't a racist uh, or uh, a homophobe. Um, are, you, are, you, are you sure about that? He just didn't like the Chinese. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a that's joke. A big, yeah, that's a joke. It's a joke. Uh, the court. <laughs> the court case. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay with editing, yeah? <laughs> you can edit this. Hello and welcome to another episode of the movie show. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, Nicolas Cage. We are presenting you a movie menu of Nicolas Cage. Uh, I, I enjoyed this one. I like, I like Nick. I, I did as well. Um, he's, no, uh, he's, he's out there. Oh, Christ. But, he's, but I think today. he's a Marmite actor. Some people love him, some people hate him. And I get but, yeah, but I think I think we spoke about this a while back, and there are some Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage has made an awful lot of trash in the last fifteen years. We know that. We all know that. Shut your damn mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but but you cannot take it away from the man because for fifteen years he was at the top of his game. He, yeah. he, he took he took the roles that he wanted to play. He did what he wanted to do. He wanted to be if he was serious, he'd be serious. If he wanted to act crazy, he'd be crazy. If he wanted to be in a comedy or an action, it didn't matter. He he ran the gauntlet of every single mode of movie. You know, you've got movies that we've not even got to touch on the rest of the movies like but there was a movie that he did with David Lynch. Um it was recently put on Netflix, it's called Wild at Heart, right? Oh yeah. And, yeah. And I would I would encourage anybody, all our four people who are listening to this, including my mother, you know, 
go and watch Wild Hello, Heart. Mary. <laughs> Hello, Mary. It's an amazing, yes, of course, Irish Catholic <laughs> Mary. Um, no, that's that is not a racist stereotype for me. Yeah, that's her, that is her real name. Yes, that is her real name. But like anybody, anybody that wants to watch a, a, this, the, the beginning of the craziness of acting of Nicolas Cage, watch Wild at Heart. It's amazing. Yeah, I was going to say a few notable mentions that are missing off here. Conair uh, mm-hmm. is missing off our menu. It, you can, that's the thing. I love a lot of his films. The same way if you asked me to do one of these menus on Spielberg, I, I just love too many of his films to say, I'm going to knock that one out because it's not any good. You've just got to pick what you personally love the most. Conair's up there for me as one of his best performances. The fact people still that. talk about that now. I ran a, a Twitter poll, and yeah, we only got about 20 votes or whatever it was, but nobody voted for Leaving Las Vegas as their favourite film. It was <laughs> Face Off the Rock and Conair. Nobody voted oh, yeah. for Leaving Las Vegas. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, fuck the, fuck the Oscars. That's the one who won the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, fuck the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, adaptation as well. Um, yeah, absolutely outstanding. Right, yeah. Shows what else he can do apart from the the you know. Well, I was going to say sticking on a wig and a funny accent, but it does that adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the National Treasure films as well. I think. Oh, hundred percent. Hundred percent. Absolutely. I'm so brilliant. glad you said that. So glad you brought that up because I I fucking love the National Treasure movies, and I, I, I read I read the other day that they're going to be making a third one, and I am over the goddamn moon about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm over oh, the moon about brilliant. it. Brilliant. Oh, you should have saved that for the news. You should have saved that for when, <laughs> no, when news, the news. No, news is for Wednesday night. News is for Wednesday night, Paul. <laughs> Gee, I'm sorry if you've tuned in listening wanting your news this week. <laughs> You're going to have to tune Mary, in on Wednesday. Mary, Mary's fucking off now. Let's see who's here for the news. <laughs> Jesus, Cormac, I wish you'd stop saying all those hurtful words. God's sake, Cormac. I can't get that fucking empire.com down in Oma. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I've never I've never met your ma, but I'm pretty sure now you've said this on the podcast. In about two days, you're going to go to your local corner shop and you'll go, I hear there's another national, <laughs> national treasure film coming out, Cormac. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who told you that? <laughs> your man told me last week. <laughs> right, so... Nicholas Cage, yeah. So, um, adaptation, Conair, um, Wild at Heart, uh, and the National Treasure films. Um, absolutely fantastic. Go watch them. But here is our um, movie menu of Nicholas Cage. Okay, uh, starter, we are serving you uh, the Nicholas Cage variety. We have been uh, in the kitchen all week trying to devise this perfect menu for you. Um, the best introduction for me, which I'm going to put to you, is Face Off. Um, John Woo film, 1997, massive box office hit. Um, one of his best reviewed films on IMDb. This, for me, is if you want to know who Nicolas Cage is as an actor, what he can do, then you see Face Off. Absolutely fantastic film. I cannot say a bad word. It is a nearly impeccable film. Starts off by sniping a child. You know what? How, <laughs> how, how better can you start a movie? He's on a fucking merry-go-round, or what do you call it, with a hobby horse, and he gets gunned down. Nicholas Cage guns down a kid. Yeah. But this is, I mean, straight from the beginning, you you set this up. You, you've seen Nicolas Cage as uh, living in Las Vegas. You've seen him up to now in I think Snake Eyes, The Rock. He's always the hero. He's always the um, protagonist of whatever you want to call it. And then bang, straight into it. Yeah, he is assassinated. Well, it wasn't me intended to assassinate a child, was he? He was going after. Still uh, did it, Paul. He was going after Sean, it. but he still did it. He still did it. We don't if excuse. I, if I if I had a sniper rifle 
and I had seen Hitler at the end of the road in Belfast, and I shot him, and it went and it hit a kid. You know, yes, I shot Hitler in the back. That's great, but I still shot and killed a kid. You know, yeah. I'm not. A, I'm not. Wow. I'm not. A, I'm not it. I'm not a John Travolta to Hitler. All right, hang on. <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about the film Face Off. Your first, your first contribution to the conversation is: if I saw Hitler in the street and it's a kid, so be it. Well, <laughs> you didn't even mention that Hitler died in that scenario. Well, that's the problem. Hitler you just Hitler didn't die. You, would, you would sacrifice. You would sacrifice a child just for the opportunity to take a long shot at Hitler. Well, you know. We have to jump into Caster Troy's mindset. You know, we have to we have to jump in. Collateral damage doesn't he is, and he is he is pure sex. He right is just, he is a yeah. horny bastard. Uh, peaches sucking on tongues, touching up choir girls. This, the Me Too movement would have a, a field day with Caster Troy. I must admit that, but it sets him up perfectly. He's wild. He's he's arrogant. He's um, I don't know. He's just this epitome of evil sacrifices people he sacrifices women he, he has no compunctions for anybody else other than getting away and the combination with John Travolta pretty much an actor of similar um, I'm trying to put it in a polite way the both oeuvre, fucking mental oeuvre oeuvre you could use oeuvre, oeuvre. The, oeuvre. The, the both known for going nuts at times the yeah. technicals the one take and lately the stuff they've been doing is shite so we, we, the, the both actors who were in the peak of what they were doing uh, and not only do we see Nicolas Cage being Castor Troy the bad guy we also see him being the good guy uh, Cage, Cage, John Travolta yeah, it's Cage playing Travolta playing Cage. Yes. That, that, yeah, that's that that's the kind of way to and you know, the 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 amazing thing is, you know, John Travolta, this was his second peak. You know, John Travolta you know, yeah. after Look Who's Talking just went down the hill. Oh, Christ, every, yeah. every, everybody remembers him from Saturday Night Fever and or early on in Greece and, and Look Who's Talking. But it wasn't he, he he went into the wilderness and it was Tarantino that obviously pulled him out with Pulp Fiction. And, mm, yeah. you know, in, in 94, and then Broken Arrow came out in uh, 95, 96, which was John Woo's another, first, another yeah, John John Wu, yeah. first one. And then, obviously, this was his second one. So I think it was kind of one of those ones where Nicolas Cage was kind of coming up as this kind of new type of action star. So I think they were they played off each other really well, simply because I think Travolta wanted to be as manic as Cage. And it worked so well yeah. because... They were playing each other's character. You know, it was Travolta playing Cage playing Travolta, and Cage playing Travolta playing Cage. I, yeah, I'd say more. I, I, I was more impressed with Cage playing Travolta playing. Yep. Or Cage playing Castor Troy underneath whatever. But for me, John Travolta was more. He was just bad. A bad version of John Travolta. I didn't really get that. With Nicolas Cage, I got that kind of. You can almost see him trying to inter, um, impersonate John Travolta. In certain mm-hmm. scenes that he does, in certain yeah. movements he does. Yeah. He's, but he, the the contrast you see of that character go from first being put into the prison to then finally just stuck there to escaping and going on. It, it is, it's a fantastic, absolutely fantastic film. But it's, John, it's, John, it's John Woo, it's just you were going to say, it's yeah, John Woo yeah. all over it. 
It's slow motion. It's it's fucking pigeons and doves flying everywhere in slow motion. It's yeah, it's, wind, it's wind. It's fucking double guns. You know, this is what John Woo did in Hong Kong in like the eighties. This is a better well, tomorrow. This, this is this is a catch a thief. This is everything that he did. This was his third Hollywood action film. He did Broken Arrow, like you say. He did Hard Target, and then he's come in and then he's done Face Off, and I think he's perfected it now. That balance of comedy action, um, it, the script makes it. It's very self. Referential, they it is. It, I think I think the good they're thing not afraid to take, they're not afraid to set the piss out of themselves. Where Travolta's yeah. talking to his brother and he says this ridiculous face, this horrible chin, and you're just like, hang on a minute, that's that's Travolta. It's not it's somebody else's face, that you know. So they're not they're not afraid to poke out the fun of what's actually going on. The shootouts and the set pieces in this, the the one that stood out for me was the um, in the flat where he's gone to meet his or Caster's old crew and he's got Gina Gershon there he's got a bunch of others and and the young kid ends up with the headphones on while the shootout's going on with somewhere over the rainbow and absolutely amazing and it's one of those films that could just with any other director could have just been your bog standards uh, double identity or whatever you call it you know one of these two yeah. two people same person Freaky Friday, whatever, and it wasn't. John Woo elevated it to something else. Um, but I read, it, I read, I read as well that John Woo wasn't happy with the first two um, English language movies that he made because they were very much uh, owned by the studio. The studio had the script and the studio had the budget, and they made him stick to it. And, and he had a lot of ideas of what he wanted to do in both movies, and he wasn't really allowed to do it. And this was kind of his, this was his breaking point movie. Uh, that he was going to walk away and basically go back and, and just go back to doing the Hong Kong movies. You know, he wanted he wanted control and he wanted to do it. So this was the movie where he got the budget he wanted, he got the actors that he wanted, and he got to do the script that he wanted to do. And you know, it it just it showed it showed because it was just it's a joy. You know, there's now <clears throat> I will say I do remember it when I was younger being a hell of a lot more insane watching it updated. There, yeah. there's, there's like there's like a 40 minute period where they're building the story in the middle and I get it I understand that I still enjoyed it I still really liked it but there's this 40 minute in the middle that nothing really happens they're trying to set up each other's character you know uh, Cage, Travolta Cage Travolta goes into prison and Cage Travolta Cage goes home and, and you know has to have a relationship and there's this kind of that weird thing at the start as well with Travolta and and his daughter you know she's, oh she's, that was she's, but it's not, no, no, not the creepy. Oh, not the creepy scene, right? Okay. And when 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 Travolta's still Travolta, you know, she's she's like wearing like eyeshadow and like just a wee bit of makeup, and you know, he's kind of looking at her as if, oh, oh, honey, you gotta stop, you gotta stop putting all that stuff on your face, and it's kind of like she's she's really not wearing that much makeup, John. You know, she's got she's got a little bit of a flick. On her fucking eye, but it's, it's, it's not, she had it's a not pierced fucking. Nose and stuff. The nineties yeah, were a different Mar- time. It's not Marla Manson, like it's not fucking. It's not you know. She's not painted herself, like you know. It's she's wearing makeup. I think if there's and the one thing I said earlier about this was being uh, borderline perfect, and I'll agree with you what you just said there. It's you know what you could shave off about twenty minutes, twenty five yeah. minutes from this. It's a long film for an action film. And if, yeah, the prison, I mean, we had the prison, if you'd have had the prison riot sooner and then the breakout, if you'd have had the action sequence closer to the start where you've, you know, you've got the, the story kicking on and you have that faster and it breaks out of prison, get the prison bit out of the way. That didn't bring much other than try to set up a fantastic sort of 
breakout scene off a off a boat or whatever it was. So I think if any criticism, it could have just been a bit shorter, a bit leaner, and would have moved the story on a bit faster. What was up with his brother's voice? I don't know. Was he trying what? to be? Was it? Was he? Tra- was it? A, was it an accent? Was it? Yeah. A, I, don't, I don't know. Caster Troy. It was like he was talking in fucking slow motion. Like I don't understand. Like it was like, what the fuck? Why? Why are you talking like that? Like I get it's 1987, and maybe he's trying to, you know, this is what nerds sound like in 97. Like, yeah, you know, he was supposed to be the nerd one. In he, he kept talking about his medication and all kinds of stuff. But if if you think how Caster was speaking, it is still very. It was a very sort of drawl, slow speaking that he does. A peach. I want to eat a peach friend. You just think maybe that he was copying Nick Cage's inflections and he's trying to almost copy how he speaks because they're brothers. And let's face it, they don't look alike, do they? They don't. They don't. They don't look alike. They don't have the same accent. They're just very, very. It's you know, me, me and my brother kind of look alike, you know, but. Uh... I don't know. It, it, his accent was fucking weird. Nick Cage looked like he, he would just, you know, go off and kill anybody at any one time. Um, who knows? Who knows? But, and, it, and, it's a, uh, and it's a great ploy for getting him as the bad guy, but also the good guy. It really gives somebody a bit the chance to extend themselves. The action scenes in this, I've, got, I've touched on it before, very little CGI used. I'm thinking good. back to Speed, yeah, Speed 2 Cruise Control, for example. That came out in the same year. And that was horrendous, absolutely horrendous for the overuse of CGI. And it shows how John Woo can command a set. And they're so well choreographed. The the final speedboat chase, you know, that was all filmed on set. It stunts, it's real explosions going off. You really feel like you're there. And that's what adds to a movie for me. And there was one, I, I don't know if it was you I would tell you about this. I actually broke a TV with this film. (laughs) <laughs> and I think it might okay. be the first time in my mum or dad hear this, but um, they'd gone out. Uh, it was on Sky Movies. You know when they used to have a premiere at 8 and at 10 on yeah. a Saturday night? Again, kids, going back into 1997, you had one premiere a week and it came out on a Saturday night. That was your lot. <laughs> and and it could um, have been really it, – it was either it was a real toss-up, it was a mixed bag. It could be really shit or it could be a really fucking awesome oh, movie. Oh, yeah. It could have been the director DVD, whatever. It could have been Speed 2. But oh. I had the TV and I was turning the volume right up, this big action sequence, and where the speedboat explodes at the end and the big thing, it broke one of the speakers and it set, <laughs> it, crack, it, set it crackling, you know, when there's too much bass going through a speaker. And mm. I'm like, oh, shit. So I'm turning all TV off and turning it down. And when I turned it back on, they were crackling again. I'm like, oh God, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a leather in here. And uh, turned it off, went to bed, woke up next morning, and my dad's patting away at the TV. Fucking TV's broken. It's like, oh thank God, I got away with that. <laughs> <laughs> I never said anything, but I broke that TV. I managed to explode some speakers with face off. Um, so look, as an introduction to Nicolas Cage, it's a fantastic film. It shows his range. It shows what he's capable of. It's a very entertaining movie. It's energy. It's got wit. Uh, an absolutely absurd plot. But it is carried off by two absolute Hollywood legends. And So our fish course. And this is very much um, the choice of the chef. The choice of the chef of the day. You may choose to produce um, a fish dish which is along the lines of Shark Tale or Finding Nemo or some piranha, for example. You may want to uh, serve up something fishy like that. Or you might think that uh, fish 
has a rather whiffy smell. Something that you'd never want on your plate and you'd urge people not to actually try that if you're not keen. A salted herring, should we say. Cormac, you are serving up our fish course today. What is your fish dish? Well, let's be clear. There are a few movies of Nick Cage that we could have put in here. You know, yes. an, an honourable mention goes to knowing. Uh, yeah. I, Don't. I, I, I take umbrage with that. I take umbrage with that. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Fuck out of here. <laughs> not a hope. No, okay. I'm not no, no, you. Hey, look, you love, you do you. You love what you love. I love what I love. <laughs> I thought it was a very clever way to end the film by just destroying the planet. It kind of kills yeah. the franchise off. But um, okay, so no, not we're not having knowing then. So what? Uh, what have you given us? So what what we have is the Nicolas Cage 2006 Neil Lebute uh, directed The Wicker Man. The, the Wicker Man. <laughs> the, the Wicker w- Man. The, the Wicker Man. So, no matter how many times you say it in different ways, it's still capital. Yeah. So, I absolutely yeah. commend you on this. So go on, hit us with it. Why so, is this Right. I remember watching the original Wicker Man. Uh, in Limerick. I was on a holiday with my family in Limerick, right? And we were staying kind of outside of town and the Wicker Man was on TV and me and me and my brother watched it and it scared the absolute fucking shit out of me. Now, for a couple of reasons, because I used to watch the Equalizer when I was younger and, okay. and Edward Woodward was in it as well. So Edward Woodward was this kind of scary fucking cop in the Equalizer. And it was like, it was really dark and listen, gritty kind of crime drama, uh, late night crime drama. Um, and the Wicker Man was kind of based around, he was called to this island uh, because a girl's gone missing. Um, and it just slowly gets weirder and weirder. We get to see Britt Eklund, you know, fucking humping a wall. Um, you know, just some music, some really weird. Britt Eklund was married to Peter Sellers at the time as well. I think Panther. Um, the Wicker Man is one of those films that I've watched. I watched it when I think I was at uni. And it was one of those, I had it on in the background while they're doing other stuff, so I can remember bits and bats, but I was going to watch it through again for this, but this has actually destroyed my <laughs> love of wanting to watch anything. But, but I would, I would, I would, may, I would say watch it, because I don't know what the fuck they were trying to do with this movie. Like, I genuinely don't get it. I, like, you know, it, it follows around the same kind of scenario of, you know, it has that weird start where he stops the car and the girl keeps throwing the fucking doll out of the car and you really want to punch the wee cunt in the face. And it's like, when when finally the car gets exploded, you're like, ah, fucker, you kept throwing that fucking doll out of the car, the wee cunt. Whatever. So then, yeah, so then Nicholas Gates gets, the car gets exploded and blah, 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 and then he gets a letter, you know, and this weird fucking ass girl, this cop comes to the door with his letters and stuff and you think it's some kind of weird tension, but... It's like when they're talking, there's like a three-second pause between each person starting their half of the conversation. Oh, it's it's, yeah. Yeah, and like the one thing it reminded me of was, do you remember The Happening? Remember the M. Night Shyamalan movie with Wahlberg? <laughs> yes, yes, I, I remember like, that. I, I was sitting watching it going, like, is this in the same kind of, is this the same, you know, universe as The Happening? Because... Everybody seems like they're a wee bit retarded and they can't fucking talk properly. 
Well, every everyone was supposed to be. I don't know if we're allowed to use that word or not, but okay, let's let's not use it again. Um, <laughs> different strokes for different folks, but I don't, let's not use that one again. Um, I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go down the fucking uh, the guard route. It's my culture. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, let's. Uh, that that's a, there's a special box of words that we definitely don't use. <laughs> I mean, you use cunt in that phrase, and I never stopped you there. So let's not go. <laughs> let's not go to higher level Pokemon of evolution swearing today. I I apologise if anybody is offended. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, <laughs> they, are all, they yeah, are all. Yeah, they're words. They're But yeah, but, I mean, but the. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Paul>, no! <laughs> But apparently, uh, I read some, and Nicolas Cage were actually speaking about this, and people said, and he's like, why are people, you know, people are laughing at the film. And they made it as apparently as a dark comedy. This yeah, was supposed I, to be. Yeah, no, I have, I have issues with that because I read the same thing, and I thought, you know what? I call bullshit on this. So yeah, I, I, went, I went back and I looked at like the premiere footage and stuff like that there and stuff that Neil LeBute and, and Nicolas Cage were saying beforehand. And they were both talking about, you know, they wanted to uh, reconnect the eeriness of the original and they wanted to maybe improve on the story a little bit. And then there was another thing that said that 80% of the dialogue in this movie was exactly the same as what it was yes, in, in the exactly. original. And I, and, I, and I didn't really pick up on that at all, to be fair. Um, but I'm just, I'm just curious. How what at what point was it supposed to be intentionally funny, and why would you make a film remake of The Wicker Man, which is categorically one of the scariest films released and one of the most successful indie British films? Why would you look at that source material and that that first film and say, let's make let's make it funny? There's, mm-hmm. there's nothing that it, it could have been a much darker film. And anyway, go on. Sorry. But yeah, so the premise, um, Nick Cage is a cop, gets a letter from an, an old girlfriend saying that her daughter's gone missing. And it's in this place called um, Summer's Isle. And I find that really strange as well that they actually changed the name. It's called Summer yeah. Isle in the original and it's Summer's Isle because the Americans wouldn't be able to say Summer Isle. <laughs> yeah. Fuck? Summer, summer Isle. <laughs> yeah. Summer Isle. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, whatever. So he goes to the island uh, to try and help her locate her daughter. Um Within this, he he finds all these weird people. He is probably the weirdest person on the island. Um, you know, walking around into fucking schools and you know, demanding that schoolgirls tell him where the fuck. You know, <laughs> I, have stood the in front full, of I have the full extent of the law. I will He's... bring the law down on you. But he like, stood in front of all these kids, finds the register, and just goes. You're all liars. It's like, yeah. you fancy get the fuck out while we're teaching a ten-year-old these, girl. These, these people, these people have never seen a fucking police officer. They they technically <laughs> don't know what the fucking law is. You know, no. I have the full extent of the law in the courts. Yeah, what the what the fuck are you what? talking about? <laughs> you know, so and then it, like when he first gets on, when he first goes onto the island, you know, he meets these people, and he, you know, do you know this girl? No. Do you know this girl, Rowan? No. Do you know Willow? No. And then there's two guys that are carrying a bag. What's in the bag? A shark. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Does that come out of? I, I don't know. I don't know. And he's... Uh, I'm lost for words of this. Please help me it, out. It, it why? Just, it, like, it just, like, the, the everything. Why, why, Nothing. why was why was the guy English on the plane? Why was he... Like, why? 
Like, I bet, I bet that was the director saying we want to have a nod to the fact that the source material is British, some bollocks oh, like that. Well, well yeah, just, but you, 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 got the, the, you got you got the fact that his name's Edward and her name yeah. is Willow Woodward. Yeah, yeah, you got yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, well. Right, so he's gone to the island now. That's probably the smartest the, thing in the movie, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it probably is. The the key difference i think between the original and this is this has a very female dominant society it's still got the pagan what have you but there's more of an emphasis on the not matriarchal basically the the women are the what's the what was the one his name ellen ellen i'm terrible with names burston so ellen burston is the queen bee and then you've got all the other bees around her. Uh, they're all like the worker bees, all the other women. And then the drones are the men. And it's that kind of male dominant. And I was waiting for the, that to have some point. I didn't, know, I, didn't even, I didn't even pick up on that. I, did, I didn't even think of it like that. But I, 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 get, know, it, I get it that he's I, entered into a hive. She's the queen bee. The men are the drones. The women around her are other workers. So he, he's gone into a colony. Is that it? Is that the symbolism because of the honey that's run out? Well, it's it's just it's it's like the original. Like I didn't pick up on anything to do. Like there was nothing pagan and paganish uh, apart from the ending with the wicker man and stuff like that there and the gods and things like that. For for me, the original was more. You know, it was more eerie because it was that kind of pagan kind of thing that they were doing. You know, it had to to put Christopher Lee against Ellen Burstyn is is like putting fucking golden cow butter up against fucking I can't believe it's not butter. You know, it's it it just doesn't fucking work. You know, Christopher Lee. I'm from fucking Lee. England, and we don't have golden cow butter. Can you? If you don't have, if you don't have golden cow butter, go fuck yourself. Because golden cow butter is the best butter around. But anyway, whatever. It's like whatever. putting Walker's crisps up to Tato crisps. Tato fucking ten times better than Walker's crisps. Don't even fucking start that shit. Don't even start that shit. Whatever, whatever, right, whatever. So we've, got, we've got the symbol. I'm, I'm figuring this movie out actually. So he's gone onto the island, which is a colony of bees, and their honey's run out, and he's trying to find this girl, and basically. Whereas in the first, it was a constant sort of, I'm looking for this girl. No, we don't know her. We don't know her. What are you on about? In this, it's, where's this girl? We don't know her. Well, there's a picture of her on the wall. Oh, that girl. No, we don't know her. And then they find this, and then he finds a register, and they're constantly sort of going, they're constantly gaslighting him. He's saying there's a, there's a girl's name there. Another in. What are you on about? Yeah. The scene where he goes into the, the inn, bar, whatever the fuck it was, like, like he goes in and you know he he proclaims who he is and, and it was like, like the, it was like um, the motel from um, what's that Netflix series with uh, Eugene Levy? Oh, uh, Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. You know, in that motel, that kind of dirty motel for you. It was like yeah. that. There was just there was a bar and there's a hotel upstairs. Why an island which doesn't which has never had any visitors has a hotel in it? I don't know. But it's like, it's like everybody just seems to be that little bit extra aggressive for absolutely no reason. You know, they're like the 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 woman who's behind Sister Beach is that her name? Sister Beach or Sister Sister something? Anyway, she's in there like like she's just you an tree. Absolute, I don't know. Yeah, she's a bitch from like get go. Like, is it is that the one behind the the one behind yeah, the, bar? the bar? Yeah, the we'll one, get onto her in a minute. We'll I get onto her. We'll get onto her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get onto her. 
yeah. But this so, is, it's very much, I can see the symbolism of it. I can say, I was, I've wrote down here, I don't think daytime horror movies work. And then I watch. They don't, yeah, they don't. But then I watch Midsummer. Now, come back to me when you've watched Midsummer, because I'm not right. going to talk about it. It's a fairly recent film. I went and watched that off the back of watching this, because I read somewhere that if, you know, daytime horror movies, and they went, if um, you watch Midsummer, that's this. I think that's what this was trying to be. Now, the ending. Jesus Christ. Where do Here. we begin? Oh, hold on. We've not even talked about Lily Sobieski. We've not even talked about Lily Sobieski. Go ahead. I just want to get onto the bees. <laughs> but it's like, like there's a couple of things like Lily Sobieski in this movie. Like, And let's put it like this. Mid, mid, late 90s, early 2000s, Lily Sobieski was amazing. You know, Never Been Kissed, you know, I think is one of the most underrated teenage movies that's ever been made. You know, Drew Barrymore, have you ever seen it? Unfortunately, yes, I've seen it yeah. too many times. It's brilliant, and Lily Sobieski is very, yes. yeah, and Lily Sobieski is really good in it as well. And you know, when I first seen her being in this movie, I was like, Do you know what, a touch of class. You know, she's going to bring a touch of class to this movie, and what she's going to say at least is going to make sense. No, no, nothing, nothing. She wants, she she goes to him and wants to get off the island. Oh, I want to get off the island. Please help me off the island. And then after that, she just acts like a fucking weirdo. And then, you know, for no apparent reason, obviously coming up to the climax of the movie, she just fucking attacks him. Just jumps on top of him. Ah! Yeah. And then Nick Cage, Nick Cage, like, karate kicks her into the, into the fucking picture frames. I mean, the fact is, the... She lured him to the island because they want to yeah. sacrifice him. So he's... A spoiler alert, Paul. Sorry. Because that's why the Fuck no, we're not even getting into spoilers here. So they lure him in, they've lured him to the island because they're wanting to sacrifice him to uh, save their honey harvest. Now, it's his kid mm-hmm. that's on the island. Are you telling me she had to write a letter to him to say, a kid's gone missing, come to the island? Or would it have worked if she said, you've got a kid here and it's yours, come and see him. As soon as he gets there, knock him on the head. Drag him into the burning man. I, I just well, don't get the convoluted Nicholas, bullshit. Nicholas Cage. He gets to the island and, and he's constantly looking for this kid, and they're all like, "No, they're not here. Ooh, they're not here." And it's like, why don't you just welcome him with open arms? Put exactly. him a feast on. Let and, him be on holiday. Wait, and, uh, yeah, and wait to knock him out and then throw him in the wicker man. Yeah. So, uh, why don't yeah, you just? My, say, oh yeah, <laughs> they've, they've had to go to an, the mainland. They'll be back in a few days. Put up so, your feet. The one, the one, Nicholas Cage asks the best question. When he's lying on the ground, he's going, I don't believe in your gods. Why are you, why are you throwing me? Why are you choosing me as your sacrifice? And nobody answers him. It's kind of like everybody going shrugging their shoulders going, cause, cause the fucking movie, Nick. Fuck you. Cause, yeah. cause, <laughs> cause you banged Willow 12 years ago. <laughs> you had a one night stand with her 12 years ago. Sorry, we'll get onto it too. It's because you're getting paid 20 million, Nick. That's why, that's why we're fucking burning you. Get the fuck out of here. Forty million, um, forty million budget, and it was paid around fifteen million, I think, for this one day. So the majority well, yeah. of this went on him. But so, right, this is why I want to get onto the ending. So the kung fu kick, the pagan festival begins, and yeah, that, the woman the behind the counter is. The whole she's, is yeah, well, so she's uh, dressed as a bear, or she's got a bear costume. Yeah, uh, they're all dressed as different animals. Hey. At some point, 
at some point, someone figures out Nick's getting onto this idea. So they launch at him. He ends up dressed. <laughs> he ends up dressed as the bear. Mm-hmm. He shows. Hold on, hold on, hold on. He knocks the sister out first. This is what I'm saying. He shows such a stunning aptitude for kung fu. Yeah, has come from absolutely nowhere. He's side kicking people. He's side swiping. He's throwing them everywhere. He's it's just one, it's, I'm a it's a hundred percent. Neil LeBute said to Nick Cage, "You can show off your kung fu skills in this movie, Nick." And Nick no, no. Cage was like, "Yep." Let's yep. just take a, no, everybody. Let's just take a couple of steps back. He's doing this dressed as a bear, <laughs> not a comical bear, a full on like. One of those things that used to, that'll stand in the stuffed bear from a corner of a steakhouse. Real fur. This is a real fucking bear with a face cut out. This is Nicholas Cage as a bear, kung fu kicking people. He's running through the woods, trying to catch up with him, find out what's going on. He finds, well, let's not go into too much detail, but anyway, they eventually get hold of him and it turns out he's been lured there. Now, our experience of this film. From this point, <laughs> why is very different, and there's a reason for this, because Cormac, in his legal, very professional, <laughs> um, dutiful way, went onto the Amazon store and chose the cinematic release of The Wicker Man. There yes, is also I, direct... I subscribe. I subscribe to stars. There is also a um, director's cut. What I didn't know is that the film streaming app that I use <laughs> had the director's cut and I was th- I was texting you saying is this the Mandela effect because I've just watched all the week man and there was no scene with the bees does everybody think that the bees are in there and you're like no it's there and I'm rewinding it and watching it again and there's voiceover of bees I'm like voiceover and I looked they gave the director the opportunity to cut out the bit that was embarrassing them the most no, there was a few bits of blood added, and that's uh, it. No, in your in in your version of the movie, was James Franco in your version? Oh, James Franco was in mine, and Ritter, right. Jason Ritter, yeah. Yeah, no, those two weren't in the theatrical release. Were they not? No, they weren't in the theatrical release. No. Oh, I, what can I say? I, I, yeah, so I watched the I watched the directors I watched the director's cut, which had the both of them in it first, like you. Like this was years ago that I watched it, and so the, the, like this one was the first time that I actually watched the theatrical release. So my ending was he's in the bear he's in the bear suit. They they break his ankles. Yeah. They, I've got to watch this on YouTube since so. Yeah, so they put the hat on. Now you, you tell me, you tell me your end because I, I, it's been a long time since I seen that ending. They put he, it, they put, they put, they put the head on. They fill it up with bees, knock him out. They drag him in. Rowan walks up and burns him in the wicker man. So what was your ending? Okay, um, he, he's being encircled by everyone. He's got his gun, fires it. Willow shows that she's copy normal first time person that she's emptied his gun full of bullets, so he's no gun. And then as people converge on him and grab him. It fades to a montage of him being dragged through a field, all um, beastinged up and legs are fucked, but they're just dragging. And there's uh, an an overview, whatever, narration. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's the sound of him having his ankles broken and the bees. Oh, right, okay. It's odd clips of that just merged in with the montage. So it's... It's just a sequence of 
the sound of him being tortured and then there's a sound of bees, but he never says not the bees. They've cut it all out. And then, uh, yeah, Willow sets him on fire. There's some chickens and shit. Burns goes. Then they end up in a club so many years from now, like six months or whatever. And there's two of them. And then James Franco and Jason Ritter come up and she basically just says, I'm going to take you home and bang you. And he's like, <laughs> cool. And then it ends. And we're like, oh, the cycle continues. Now, let's just go back to the beginning. <laughs> no, I don't want to go back to the beginning, Paul. <laughs> the car crash. Yes. The kid throwing the toy out. That kid yes. was being creepy. That well, kid I, wasn't I being that kid, annoying. I thought, that kid, I thought that kid was Rowan. Oh... I thought that I thought that kid was Rowan because they they like uh, all blonde haired white girls that fucking it look alike you know so you're looking at them like that's uh, racist and for, it's, not, it's not racist <laughs> but they like I I thought I thought that was Rowan and I thought I thought that that was like placed there to make him do what he is that it was all like a story so that yeah. Yeah, so but, that they actually they actually survived the explosion. He just didn't remember that happening. Maybe they got out of the car. He didn't know they got out of the car because that, at the start they say that they didn't find the bodies. They didn't find anything. And then he says, "Oh, who, yeah." And then he says, "Oh, who were the who were the and stuff I got there?" And then blah 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 blah, whatever. And like I thought, okay, so she's went there. He's seen a picture of her. Then when he goes to the island, he'll see that Rowan's picture. Is the exact same as the girl, but two and two never matched up, and I was like, "No, nah, it would have made more is. sense. It would have made more sense if it was Rowan." The because she says to him halfway through, "We're talking about this more than face off." She says to him halfway through, "Um, he goes, how did she die?" And she says, "She'll burn to death." Yeah. And he goes, "What?" And he goes, "She burned to death." And yeah. They were trying to show the car crash at the beginning was part of the setup. Creepy yeah, that's kid. What I, that's what I but, thought. But it went. It never paid off. I know. It, yeah, yeah. Did it just put in in, in his head that he do not like the thought of kids dying? Well, none of us do. So listen, 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 Paul. It's a comedy anyway, so you know. I but suspension of disbelief in comedies. Yeah, but the problem is. With these type of comedies, we're look we're laughing at the wrong points. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we're we're laughing at the people, not with them. The showstopper. The showstopper. This, the beat bopper. This film for me is um, what I think is the best Nicolas Cage performance in any film, including Leaving Las Vegas. Okay, that's a bit of a stretch. The best film with Nicolas Cage is The Rock. Now we could we could we could, we could transpose Con Air into this as well. This the, you know I, I feel I feel that we've we've let some of the Cage people down a lot by not going Con Air. But I I love the fact that you've chosen The Rock over Con Air because Why? it in, because it involves three of the most amazing people in Hollywood. Now, I'm not saying that they're, you know, stand-up, bang-up guys, but Bay, Bruckheimer, Simpson. You know, it involves yeah. three three people that made just 
balls to the fucking wall movies. And this, oh this, yeah, and this we just always, sums We up always here. used to joke on, when we first met, we used to joke on that uh, we would uh, imagine a scenario, which was obviously not real, where Jerry Buckheimer would be on his desk with a big <laughs> pile of coke in front of him. He's got his head in the coke. Somebody he lifts his head up. Michael Bay's walked in and gone, fucking, okay, two guys are going to blow up the sun with nukes. And he, yeah, well, I, want, I want six people in the garage and they've and all got fucking grenades. And, 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 and Nicholas Cage is, 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 is in the yeah. Lamborghini and he jumps over the fucking pier, off the fucking pier, man, straight into the fucking water. And you know what's down there? Fucking sharks, man. Fucking sharks down everywhere. So Bruckheimer scoops up a... 20 million dollars from the side of him and just throws it at Michael Bay and goes go make me that fucking move it and you know what it delivers gold every time it is a winning combination Bruckheimer especially so The Rock look we'll talk in fact I'll make it up to you we'll do Con Air later on we'll do a full Con Air we definitely should we'll do a full Con Air so because I've done so many notes Cage Mm -hmm. Stanley Goodspeed absolutely he is not your average superhero. It was it was that time in the nineties when the geek was becoming the Smart hero. Was cool. Smart was Smart cool. Was cool. Yeah. Smart was cool. So we had Kurt Russell in Executive Decision. You've got Nicholas Cage in The Rock. You have um, there was another one that I was just thinking there that was really clever. It was about that 99. was really clever. Well done. Yeah, it was I a heard really you. good nobody, one. Done nobody, it. Nobody, nobody else heard I that. Just but I did. this moment, Air Force One with Harrison Ford. That was it. The the president. You know, he's a tough guy, but he's not your typical action. They're moving away from Stallone, Lundgren, uh, Schwarzenegger, and they're moving into more sort of realistic heroes. Nicholas Cage with Sean Connery. <sighs> yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's incredible. And the it thing works. that makes it for me, and I, I've picked up on this recently, is it, all good films need a good bad guy. Mm-hmm. And General Hummel, Ed Harris, not only of force of nature is, Ed ha- is uh, General Hummel, but his his motivations, he wants to avenge the memory of his fallen soldiers. He wants to avenge and do right by the people who have died at the hands of the United States military. To have that kind of thought process and that kind of attitude and that kind of... That's on the level of Killmonger in Black Panther for me, in terms yeah. of being able to it's a, empathize. It's, it's an acce- yeah, it's an accessible bad guy. You know, it's a, it's yeah. a bad guy who's doing it because he wants... He wants $100 million to give it to the families of, you know, people who have died under his watch because the American government disowned them because it was a black ops operation. You know, simple as that. That, that is his, that is his motivation. He doesn't give a shit about his own, his own self. Doesn't give a shit if he dies. And, you know, the good, obviously, you know, at the start of the movie, all his, his, his troops are with him. But all his platoon and stuff are with him. Obviously that turns, but still, you know, he is, he's a bad guy. Well, sorry. Let me rephrase that. He's a good guy doing bad things for a good reason. Yeah. yeah. It's a good it's well mean, but and you can emphasize with the reasons of doing it, but you know you know, if you saw somebody hungry on the street, you wouldn't go and break into a shop and steal food. You know, you'd try your best to do so. Well you wouldn't. I'm a man of the people, Paul, <laughs> I would. So this was for me, this is the best Michael Bay and you know what, from the Transformers films onwards, Michael Bay is actually really gone off the pan for me. This, this stuff was, this, this was Michael, action yeah. stuff. This was Michael Bay's best movie. Simple as that. There, there, there is, there are, there are a few ones that kind of touch on being nearly as good. Um, Bad Boys was great. 
Um, I watched it the other night. It was all right. Yeah. I, uh, I wasn't. It's it's but the, since the Transformers films, Pain and Gain wasn't bad. I can see why some people didn't like it, but it wasn't bad. Uh, Six Underground. Have you seen that on Netflix? I have fucking, never even heard of it. Fucking garbage. No. Absolute fucking dross. No. It was shit. <laughs> I will. Let's let's just let's just answer the elephant in the room, okay? Um, okay. Okay. So earlier this week, um, Megan Fox came out and spoke about her treatment oh, by yes. Michael Bay. Yeah. Yes. So there, there's that whole kind of famous thing where she said that Michael Bay was like Hitler on the set of Transformers. Um, Michael Bay uh, then came out and obviously, uh, I don't know if he, if he was Jewish or if, if he has Jewish heritage, you know, Steven, he was very, Steven, Steven Spielberg. No, it was him. Uh, yeah, 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 it was, it, yeah, Michael, Michael Bay, you know, was, was along that same lines and, and Steven Spielberg as well was, you know, how dare Megan Fox come out and blah, blah, blah. So that's okay. Um, there have been a lot of very, very disturbing interviews that have come out recently that were on mainstream media of Megan Fox talking about her treatment and people just laughing at it. You know, yeah. you know, there was things where like her audition, I can't remember what movie it was, but she, there was an audition she had where she was playing a stripper and I can't remember what movie it was from for the love nor money, but she was only 15 at the time and her audition was to come round to Michael Bay's house in a bikini to clean his Ferrari. I've heard that. Was that not Transformers? I don't sure think it was. Tra- I, I, no, I don't think it was Transformers. I think I think it was something else, and I can't remember what okay. movie it was because it was it was something to do with she was playing a, a, a stripper, whatever, whatever. And then that whole kind of stuff came out as well about um, you know when she was in that episode of Two and a Half Men um, where she was is it Berta? She was Berta's daughter. Yeah. And yeah, and John Cryer and Charlie Sheen are trying not to think like sexual thoughts about her. Uh she was sixteen when she filmed that. Right, okay. You know, and so we have to obviously mention that there there are a lot of questionable things that heroes I'm doing air quotes um yeah. do do. Um so we're not we're not just bypassing the fact that Michael Bay has a very dodgy history. All we want to do is just talk about the movies that we're doing. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, actually, because I wouldn't have even thought about saying that. And you know what? From what you've just said there, basically, Michael Bay especially, uh, in this instance, and from the, you know, the examples that have been given, but there's a lot of other industries and a lot of other people out there. And it sounds like... um some men have been able to sexualize young girls in films for a long time and they've been allowed it, to do it. Yeah, but and, and and it's not even that it was happening in the fucking 60s, 70s, 80s. It was happening in the early 2000s, late 2010s. And these women were going on, you know, late night chat shows and telling telling these stories and producers, hosts and audience were laughing at them. Yeah, seeing them all, yeah. And, you know, you look at it now and there's a lot, obviously there's a lot of people now coming out and, you know, 
I think there's about three or four people. The guy who voiced Cleveland now, he basically says he's not going to voice a black actor or a black character and things like that, which is, which is correct. You know, it shouldn't be happening. We should, we shouldn't have people doing, you know, stereotypical accents of people, you know, it's just, it's, it's wrong. But what, what we're talking about is just the movies themselves. We're talking about yes. what these people, what these people are to these movies. And The Rock is, is obviously a perfect example of a Michael Bay movie. Big, bold, badass, for its time, for its time, 100%, but undeniably enjoyable. Undeniably enjoyable. Absolutely. And it's going back to the face-off thing that I said with action, comedy. It's got a great plot, a convincing plot. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, breaking into a prison. Well, pick a prison. It's it's the Michael Bay prison. Which one? Alcatraz. Breaking into the prison. There There is no other prison. There is no other prison. There is no... And... The character development across Goodspeed, Mason and Hummel is what keeps it going. You're invested because the problem with bad films is you're only in, if you only enjoy half of it, it's because you only enjoy certain characters possibly. So there's a character you like, there's a character you don't like. If they're on the screen, you're not enjoying what's going on and you think it's a bad film. So if you can buy in to the, um, the hero, the anti-hero and the villain, and every scene that they're in, you want to watch it, then you're going to have fun all the way through. And I can buy into exactly everyone we're going on. Okay. First thing I want to say, John Mason. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's is James he, Bond? Is he Bond? A fucking is he you, Bond? You're going to say that. And you're going to say that. Um, I, I, what do you think I've put? What do you think, what do you think what, I've put? Right. When I rewatched it, when I rewatched it, um, I, I, my mind just started to wander, you know, right, what's happened, what's happened in Bond's life, you know, yeah. uh, you know, was he disowned by MI6, you know, what, you know, what, what, what has happened in this whole scenario? Um, I, I would say yes. I would say yes, he is Bond. Yeah, I said that as well. I, I can yeah. see it. I mean, my, and it's, maybe, it's a fun maybe, theory. Maybe blink, but, yeah, but maybe we're blinkered because we've literally well, just watched, we've, we've literally just watched 10 Bond movies. <laughs> yeah, possibly, possibly. But, right, John Mason, okay? It's a fairly standard name. Mm-hmm. It also plays into the fact that... Alias! Is the James Bond the alias and the person's name? So Roger Moore's real name would not be James Bond, it's something else. Yeah. That. James Bond monkey. So was Sean Connery's James Bond actually called John Mason? He got locked up in the mid-70s, around the same time Roger Moore took over as James Bond. He was working for SA, um, in the SAS and MI6. They say it all in the film. And I just think, and he's got the skills, he's got everything. The only, you know, I, I, I love those little fan theories sometimes that line up and that one lines up for me. Right, the rest of the cast on this, I'm just going to quick fire the rest of the, the cast. I mean, we don't need to worry about Michael Bay in 1996 because it looks like he didn't really cast women anyway. There's one woman I've, <laughs> I've known. John Spencer. Who, who needs him? John John Spencer. Here, uh, Lou McGarrity from uh, West Wing. Absolutely brilliant. David yep. Morse. William Forsyth, who we're going to talk about soon. Michael Bain. 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 Can we just go back to Bill Forsyth there just one second? Yeah. And... This wasn't even his best role. Let's no. guess what Bill Forsyth's best role is. And it's not the next movie. Can you guess what I'm thinking? What his... <laughs> Go on. Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo, baby. Oh, Christ, isn't that, isn't it? He was a guy oh, with a, the thing on... With a, the husband with a thing on his penis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's... <laughs> 
Put I don't care what it, that's yeah. a fucking great movie. Shut up. That's a great movie. Michael Biehn. John C. McGinley. Mm-hmm. Tony Todd. Claire Foliani. Couple you didn't know. Xander Berkeley. George Mason yeah. from, uh, from, yeah. uh, 24. 24, yeah. The F-18 pilot at the end, who fires and then shouts, green smoke, green smoke. Jim Caviezel. Really? Was that Jim Caviezel? Yep. It was, oh, uh, wow. future, future Jesus. It was on, um, Marone. It was credited future something like James. Jesus. <laughs> Imagine that, Mel Gibson, Passion of the Christ 2, <laughs> with a soundtrack by Marilyn Manson and Depeche Mode. <laughs> that was more Johnny Cash. <laughs> but we've got, so, going back to The Rock, look, you put all these bits together, you've got the, the deadly virus, that's gruesome, that's high for stakes. Nick Cage throughout goes from this cowardly... I mean, I'm, I'd put him along the lines of Tom Cruise in Edge of Tomorrow in kind of... I'm kind of... I can't really think of many sort of from the old... I'm not going No. These guys are cowards. They don't want to be there. Then... But I wouldn't call... I wouldn't call Cage a coward in this movie because he kind of puts himself... He puts himself... He puts himself forward for okay. for all the action, like... The... Okay. The certain heroes... That are dragged into it. Yeah, not not your so typical. So coward was a wrong word. God, Yeah, not your typical gun blazing fucking hero. He's a hero that that thinks before he shoots. Yeah, and yeah. the 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 cliche would be he's done his twenty five hours on the range to get his FBI license. But you know, is, is that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. it? He don't want to be is, there. He's, he's so, not trained for that. So okay, coward was the wrong word, but he's not trained for that situation. And as he grows through it. And Mason grows with him, I think, in terms yeah. of accepting this. Uh, he thinks he's a bit of a fanny at first. Let's, let's not beat around <laughs> it. But she thinks he's a bit of a knob. Oh, takes, you, can't say, you can't say fanny, Paul. That's a, that's a wrong word. That's a fucking word. You use the, you use the no, word. That's a no-no word. Don't you be dropping C-bombs <laughs> and R-bombs and complain about the American word for ass. And so we've got the the Lamborghini Humvee. That's that's just a Michael Michael Bay trope, isn't it? A Lamborghini Humvee charging through San Francisco. You've got the the sort of the suspense of getting in, and then bang straight away, trying to get into the shower room. All the guns pointed on them. They've tripped the motion sensor, and you just have this carnage gun battle, and it just shows what the bad guys are willing to do, and it just shows that the good guys will not stand down for anything. And to have that kind, and it throws you off guard because you think it's going to build up, and maybe you lose odd guys here, there, and everywhere through throughout the film. And yeah, you're going to be left with Nicolas Cage at the end, but you you don't expect the entire unit to get wiped out in one single sitting. Yeah. And it just really sort of lets you know what kind of film this is going to be. That if you can kill Michael by being 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 how nigh by Kai, and then. <laughs> but the one the one thing that I love with this movie is this this was Don Simpson's last movie. You know, Don Simpson, Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop, uh, Days of Thunder, Flashdance, uh, Bad Boys, Crimson Tide. This was this was his last movie, and he went out like Don Simpson is supposed to go out. Fucking heart exploded because of all the drugs he was taking. You know, that is the way that Don Simpson is supposed to die, you know, and... Oh, God, yes. Yeah, but, like, the the one thing, the one thing that I didn't know about this movie, right, 
I did a little bit of reading. There were eight writers accredited to this movie. You know, credited and non-credited, sorry, I should say. Now, Sean Connery had two people rewrite his lines. So the people who, who wrote the script for Bond, uh, he had them rewrite his lines in this, right? Okay. So, so there were there were three main writers of this movie. Uh, two other people who wrote for this movie were Aaron Sorkin. Really? And Quentin Tarantino. Give over. So, I've read the... Really? Yeah, there were there were so many writers. And the reason behind it was it wasn't a finished script going into shooting. So Nicolas Cage, as you know, 100% loves to make shit up on the spot, right? Oh, yeah. Now, we'll talk about that in the next movie. Now, there's some directors who do not <laughs> like who do not like that, and there are other directors who fucking love it and thrive off it. And Michael Bay is one of those directors because it's a fucking mental movie. You've got Nicolas Cage, who is a mental actor who just wants to make stuff up. And half of the things that were in this movie that came out of Nicolas Cage's mouth were improvised. So, so they tried to stick as much to script as possible, but obviously that was so hard because there were so many fucking writers involved, and and you had obviously our main man Nicholas Cage involved in it as well. You know, yep. so you have to look at it like that. I mean, this this movie for me it has everything, and and my obviously doing my little reading, and I always love to pick out one wee thing in each movie, and this is a great one that I picked out. All right, so. This is from an internet website um, called IMDb. <laughs> you may have heard of it or not. Uh, I don't know. That, that little startup. Just, it's just that little startup. Uh, so I've read this a few times. I've read this in a few websites. So I, I wanted to get into actual coherent sentence. So this is it. So in 2016, the Chilcot report on Britain's involvement in toppling Saddam Hussein's noted that one agent who had falsified claims about overseeing weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, had based his description of them on the nerve gas missiles <laughs> featured in the rock. <laughs> Holy shit. So, WMDs were invented by Michael fucking Bay. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Ain't so, crazy? <laughs> so, hang on, the agent basically went, oh, yeah, there's definitely bombs in there. Yeah. So, yeah so, what did they look like? Well. Yeah. So, basically, what happened is there was a report around the mid-90s was that Saddam Hussein, after the, the original Iraq war, was continuing with his weapons of mass destruction. A few writers obviously put this into the rock, and then whenever... The shit hit the fan in 2001 when the tires came down and when in 2002 the Americans fucking went full on, they've got the WMDs. They came in, basically read the script of The Rock and went, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, he's got fucking these fucking, what are they called? VX poison gas. VX. Uh, VX. Yeah. And, and that is what, that is what basically has started the world as we know today. This fucking mess of a hellhole volcano bullshit. The Rock, Michael Bay started all this shit. 
<laughs> You've just absolutely destroyed this film for me now. Well, I still enjoy it. <laughs> oh, God, Ed yeah, Har- I love it as well. Ed, yeah. Ed, Ed Harris is amazing. It's got a great car chase. And then Nicolas Cage pops two flares at the end and, and sticks it up there. Green smoke, green smoke, green smoke. Green smoke. <laughs> it's an entertaining action film. It's nothing more than that. It was never going to push, you know, never trying to win Oscars. Oh, oh, never... oh, 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 you said the wrong thing, Paul. Go on. I knew you would say this. <laughs> the, Rock the Rock was nominated for an Oscar. Hang on, let me guess, let me guess, let me guess. You, do you know? Yeah, no. Sound editing. No, you're wrong. Just sound mixing. <laughs> <laughs> was it? <laughs> was it really? Yeah, sound mixing, yeah. <laughs> okay, well. But look, apart from that, so the Oscar nominated film The Rock. Um, look, uh, we absolutely, like I said, we absolutely love this film. It's jam packed, action packed. Um, it's totally nuts. It's very clever. You can emphasise a lot of people in it. You can have a lot of fun with Sean Connery. Probably the last film of his I saw him having fun in, where he seemed relaxed and... In Entrapment, where he got the look of Catherine Zeta's Jones' ass. Oh, yeah. Before, he before, before, look, <laughs> before her vagina gave Michael Douglas cancer. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, folks. Listen, he said it. He said it. It could have been a travel podcast. <laughs> Listen, he said it, all right? Okay, our dessert, or rather, Cormac's dessert. What What are you going to dish up for us in a hot plate of joy? Is that the site of playing a banjo? My lovely and delicious dessert is. How many, how many days have how many days have you had that open on? You've already to play it at that moment. Well, I, I sat earlier on and you and you heard it. So <laughs> my my movie, my dessert, my love is the 1987 classic, uh, Raising Arizona. Okay. Uh, it for me again my first love in 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 cinema was the first movie that i can remember seeing that i truly 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 loved was the rocky horror picture show right yep i i absolutely adored the music i absolutely adored everything the second movie that i remember seeing in life was raising arizona and it still resonates with me today uh, my favorite directors uh, of all time are the Coen Brothers. Uh, one of my favorite movies, like top, probably the four of the top ten movies in my life are Coen Brothers movies. Um, Fargo. Uh, there is simply no better crime fo- film than Fargo. Uh, the Big Lebowski. There is simply yeah. no no you know other better movie than The Big Lebowski. And I actually like the Hudsucker Proxy as well. Um, 
this was the movie that the Sunsucker Proxy was supposed to be because this they couldn't get the budget raised for it. So oh, instead, right, okay. And, yeah, so instead of doing the Sucker Proxy, they took uh, Raising Arizona. Uh, you know, H.I. McDonough uh, is <laughs> Nicolas Cage. <laughs> he is a criminal, a petty criminal who keeps robbing convenience stores with empty guns so he doesn't get longer sentences. Uh, he falls in love with the, the police officer. Uh, who has taken his photograph as mug shots every time. Um, he then comes out and tries to go straight, and they decide to kidnap a child of Nathan, <laughs> Arizona. <laughs> they have literally had quintuplets. Uh, it's ev- everything about it. You know, it is Coen Brothers to a hilt. You know, you get you you have a narrator. You know, you have a start. Uh, the, one of the great things about the co- about Raising Arizona is the movie doesn't start. For I think it's eleven minutes until the credits show in Raising Arizona. Yeah, you know, I noticed it took you, a while. Yeah, so I, yeah, yeah. You get you get all that you get all this you know in between, but it's just it's just the little stories in between. Like the the, the song that I played there was uh, it's John Crowder. Uh, he, he's the name of the yodeler, right? right. So Joel Cohen knew what he. It's an old song from a nineteen thirties movie. Um, Joe Cohen, the Cohen brothers knew exactly what they wanted out of this movie. They came into this movie, and that's what I spoke about earlier on about scripts. Cohen brothers enter a movie with a hundred percent script. They enter a movie with a hundred percent location, with a hundred percent storyboard, with a hundred percent what they want out of this movie, music, everything they want to do. They, they come fucking prepared for movies. They they right. do not leave any anything to chance because they know that their movies aren't high budget. So they have to stick to their budget 100%. So they, because if they don't, then their name is Mud. Um, so Joe Cohen basically rang uh, a guy um, and he wanted to find a yodeler for this music. And the guy who actually uh, put him onto it was the guy who did the Julian Banjos from Deliverance. Okay. Um, he's, he actually plays in a band called Deliverance with the guy, John Crowder, who plays the bass. He's not a yodeler. He's not the yodeler of the band. Um, but John Crowder then did the the yodeling scene, the raising Arizona, and everything, everything about it. It's not even that long of a movie. It's an hour and thirty two minutes long. Yeah, it's not. It, that, yeah, not that long at all. Yeah, you get you get uh, Bill Forsyth, William Forsyth from from The Rock, and and Joe Goodman as as the two uh, criminals who break out of prison. Um, you know, it it is, it's funny, it's sweet. Nicholas Cage for me has never been better in a movie. He's never, he's never been better in a movie than what he is as as H.I. McDonough. Uh, and then you have to arc that with Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter is just phenomenal in Raising Arizona. You know, from she could be smiling one second. You know, when they when they get Nathan Junior out of the house. And she's like, oh, I love him, I love him so much. And then it's just, it's yeah. just a complete, it's a complete breakdown. You know, uh, it, it goes to everything. The writing, you know, Barry Sonnenfeld was the, uh, was the cinematographer, director of Men in Black and, and Wild Wild West and stuff like that. Him and Joel Cohen worked together. Um, the scene where he robs the huggies from, from the store and, and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, all, everything, the cop who is hanging out the fucking window and it's just, he's got, 
he's not got a semi-automatic, but he's firing this shit, like, fucking constantly. And he just, <laughs> it doesn't seem to end. The dogs, you know, following them into the house. And, you know, to my mind, I think that's the first time that that's ever happened, where the cameras kind of followed the criminal into the house, running down the stairs and, you know, just behind him and going into the, into the under the fence and stuff. Ah, uh, so this, yeah, when he's escaping from the, uh, from the first Robert Well, Yeah, it, it just, it's, it's just created so much and it's it's such a funny, expertly made movie. It it is it's perfect. It is it is one of the perfect movies. There's not there is not one beat in the movie that doesn't make sense. There's not an arc in the movie that doesn't make sense. Everything is there. Um, it's amazing. I love it. Raising Arizona. I love it. I don't really want to say anything to the uh, to contradict any of that. Now I, I like that passion. I, I watched it for the first. I watched it for the first time a couple of days ago, and um, it, it was funny. And I was, comp- I think, I was comparing it to other Coen Brothers films, as opposed to looking at it in its own right. Um, you know, I'll admit it, it was. It's very, it's very fast moving, even though very little's happening. The whole, yeah. you know, like that that whole eleven minutes where they before they get engaged, um, leading up to pretty much getting home with the the. The child is a very fast-moving thing, and all all they've done is get together and decide to do this crime. I kind of felt it sort of started drifting around the two-thirds mark in in terms of it wasn't going anywhere. Um, I just didn't, they'd got the kids, and I was expecting the you know the police to descend on them. I was it, it felt a very Coen Brothers ending to just where say we're going to go give him back rather well, than. Be taken well, out yeah, or be captured. Yeah, yeah, but you know you have to like John Goodman and and Will Forsyth are are amazing because they act as the oh, arc. They they act as the arc of the bad guys in the middle of the movie when they come uh, into the house. Like, and you have to realize that this movie basically transpires over the face of about three or four days. It's not it's not weeks. It's not months. It's like no. it's it's like three or four days that this this all happens. And so they he. They get married, go to go to the mobile home. She, they can't have children. You know, she decides <laughs> that you know, yeah, that to steal a kid. So they steal a kid until when they give it back. I think it's three days. You know, right, and okay. you know the heart, the heart of the movie. You know, everybody falls in love with this child. You know, with you know John Goodman and Will Forsyth. Even when they're robbing banks, you know, they don't want to leave him in the car, so they fucking bring him into the car or the bank with them and rob the bank. Um, you know, I think beat for beat, uh, you know, France McDormand's in it. Um, you know, I can't remember well, was, the guy's name. I was just going to mention it. I, I don't know the other guy's name, but his character was Greg, and he was the one that was suggesting the wife swapping. Uh, to yeah, to uh, Sam Jack. McMurray, Sam McMurray, Glenn. Yeah, yeah. So Glenn. So you got yeah. Glenn and Dot, I think it was, and you just uh, said there, right? Every, everybody who sees the child falls in love with him. He cottons on that um, HI and Ed have taken Nathan Junior. And instead of saying, I'm going to turn you in, or instead of ringing the police, he says, well, we want another baby, and we like that one, so we'll, we'll take... See, everybody's... That's, that's a Coen Brothers. That's a Coen Brothers. Yeah, that's, that's a Coen Brothers. Everybody, I haven't said it outright, but I love Coen Brothers. Absolutely, yeah. everything, I agree with you. Absolutely fantastic. You know, I'd keep... I won't remember them. I won't immediately think of them as favourite actor or, excuse me, a favourite director. But when you actually think about all the films they've done, there's more that I like than I dislike, and that makes good directors for me. So, 
yes, everybody's a bad guy in a Coen Brothers film. There's, yeah, I, I get that. But just in terms of what you said there about everybody who sees this child falls in love with them, and so the, the bad guys won't, uh, the, the brothers won't take them, had to take them into a bank robbery because they didn't want to leave the kid on their own and things like that. Even when he found out that that kid was stolen, instead of doing the right thing of ringing the police, yeah, they've fallen in love with the kid. Yeah, so yeah Dottie, Dottie, Dottie wants another kid to hug, so we're going to take him. She, she needs a hugger, and it's, um, oh, God, yeah. I wouldn't say it was laugh-out-loud hilarious. No, yeah, it's not. No, it's, it's not. It's, it's, it's not. There's some it's comedies not. I would say are amusing, and I would still think it's funny. Just by, you know, because when you watch a film on your own, I think it's very rare I watch a film on my own and laugh out loud. Even if it was absolutely hilarious, I'd, I'd chuckle. I'd maybe give it a chortle, and that's about it. So I, I wasn't exactly rolling around laughing, but it's the Coen brothers' quick-wittedness and the very clever way that they use the characters and the yeah, characters it, evolve. And it's, it, the script, it's, it's the script of middle America people and how they can... Very much center in on how they speak and how they would say things and how, what they would do. You know, that's, that's the one thing that I love about the Coen brothers. You know, they can, they can write a script that is a, a heartfelt, that is funny. Not again, it's not a fuck, it's not a fucking laugh out loud movie. Like it's yeah. not, it's not a, it's not a yeah, huckle huckle movie. Like it's, it is a thoughtful movie. You know, you, you feel for Holly Hunter when she can't have kids. But you also laugh at the fact that the way she cries because she's hysterical. You know, yeah. you you feel for Nathan Arizona because his son's been kidnapped, but he's also trying to fucking sell furniture. <laughs> you know, you, you know, it's 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 everything that's added in. You know, you know, even with you know uh, Tex Cobb, the guy that plays the uh, the the mercenary. You know, Smalls. Yeah, like. Anything, anything that he does, you know, the first invention, like the whole thing about it was, he was a, he's a dream. He's a dream to Nic- in Nicolas Cage's head. He is, he is the worst case scenario of what right. can happen, what can happen. Uh, you know, his introduction where he walks in and he fucking throws a grenade at a bunny and, and fucking, <laughs> yeah. you know, sawn off shotguns and lizard. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, just, he is, he's the epitome of, of bad. He is, he is it. Um, you know, it's the Coen, like even with things like, like Raisin Arizona was a Coen Brothers second movie. You know, this was their second movie. Blood Simple was the first one. Um, right. and Raisin Arizona was the second one. And possibly their, their best came next was Miller's Crossing, you know, and, you know, but Raisin Arizona has that little place in my heart and everything in it, beat, beat for beat, it is, probably one of my favorite movies of all time you know performance wise character wise um you know heartfelt wise even even at the end when you know they're they they put nathan jr back and you know they try to lie to say that it was the mercenary and they saved him and then nathan arizona clocks on you know that they 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 liked the baby so much they loved the baby so much it was you like you stole the baby and they're like yeah, and then he like they open up their hearts, and Nathan Arizona is just like you know, turns off the lights, and you can fucking go out the way you came, you know. Yeah, I was, I mean, in a in a fairy tale world, in a typical Hollywood world, you'd almost think would put this guy actually say, you know what, five is too many. Why don't you adopt him? You know, something mm-hmm. like that. And it's 
oh, you expect some kind of happy ending of, you know, why I, why don't I give you the money to to have fertility treatment? You know what I mean? You expect some happy... And the ending but was... He, <laughs> get out the window. Get out the window. Not even that, but even, even when... Even when he believes that they've saved his son, he's still trying to stay away from the whole giving them money. He wants them to take credit <laughs> in his furniture store. You know, that, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's, that, that, that is, that is at heart. That For is tax at heart. purposes. Yeah. That is at heart. That, that one scene is Coen Brothers for me. It's oh, got yeah. heart. Yeah. It's got heart. It's got comedy. It's got tragedy. You know, I, I don't believe that there is many directors or many writers that work today that can make a child kidnapping movie uh, funny, heartfelt and poetic. You know, I don't think there's many people that could do that. And the Coen brothers do it and they do it. They do it every time. You know, it's 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 an amazing movie. It's an amazing movie. And again, it's an hour and 30 minutes long. You know, if you can't spare an hour and 30 minutes of your lifetime to watch Air Raising Arizona, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you, like, because it's fucking amazing, like, it's great. So there is our moving menu of Nicolas Cage and the finest delicacies that uh, Hollywood has to offer. Um, face-off, a starter of face-off, sir, followed by a rather uh, uh, salted wicker man. 2006, the director's cut is uh, very much B-less. Um, followed by a main course of The Rock, which can uh, has managed to incite violence and war since 2002. And finished it off with Raising Arizona. Sorry. <laughs> Raising Arizona. Oh, can you guess what's going to be at the end of this week's episode? Um, <laughs> So, look, we're going to be back um, on Wednesday, Thursday. depends when I edit and publish and this, that and the other. So, we're going to uh, come back Wednesday for the news. We will bring you all the news. As Woo! News! I tell you what, the watch... The Mullen children can't wait. Have you seen, have you seen the trailer for Greenland? Green, Greenland? Greenland. Just, have you, not, have you not heard of this film? Have you not seen anything to do with it? I haven't, no. Okay. The film is called Greenland. I love it. Don't look it up. Don't look it up. Don't look it up. Just give me a 30 second pitch for the film okay. Greenland. Okay, right. Hold on. Is. Who's directing? I'm not telling you. Okay. Greenland. Right. Uh, Greenland. Sorry. Would you like to know. Would you like to tell you who it stars? Go for it. Gerard Butler. Brilliant! Right, here we go. Right. Greenland. Yes. Jared Butler is an yep. ex cop is an ex cop uh who's living in a place called Blue Island, right? Blue Island is under attack by people from this place called Greenland. Greenland is run by Ed Harris <laughs> and he is a Nazi and he paints pictures. And with his feet. Okay, so tune in on Wednesday. We're going to be doing talking about our reaction to the film, uh, the trailer for the new film Greenland, starring Charlie Butler. I Butler's will not. What? I will not look it up between now and Wednesday. <laughs> no, no. I want you to watch it. I can go away and watch it now. I just want you to know what your first instinct would be off the title and the actor for what you think that film would be. 
So now you've said it, you can go watch it, and we'll talk about the with the trailer. Is it, on some, is it something? Is it something about Denmark? <laughs> Come on, what do you think? Well, Greenland is a fucking uh, you know it's it's part of Denmark, isn't it? So Russia and Denmark are always fighting over Greenland. So is it to do with that that they find some fucking you know nuclear shit on on Greenland and now Denmark and Russia are going to fight over it? Okay, tune in on Wednesday. <laughs> that sounds like a good movie, though, doesn't it? <laughs> it does actually, a political thriller about yeah. Russia. Yeah. So we'll we'll have the news. We'll talk some trailers. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, um, set you up for what our next episode will be next weekend. Other than that, that's going to do the jaws thing just to throw people off. But <laughs> why do we? Ooh, no yeah. horror. Oh. Okay. Horror, horror. No, no. Should we no. do a horror, me- a horror menu? <laughs> no, people might not know that I don't like horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was on Twitter the other night. Um, there were loads of people actually being really good and replying back with suggestions for what their menus would be for horror films, for horror movie menus. Um, <sighs> I've, Last House on the Left, we've had uh, Wrong Turn. I've, was seen, suggested no, I've seen that. I've seen, I've seen that. Wrong Turn? <laughs> Is that not that fucking the Sean Australia Penn movie? movie? Oh, no, okay. No, that's what U-turn. Am I U-turn. U-turn, sorry, yes. Yeah. You're, uh, wrong turn. Would you like to get in the ute? <laughs> Would you like to take it up the bum? Because that's what Jennifer Lopez does. <laughs> Would you like to see my vagina? And so, what else was there? Piranha. Um, no, I don't want to watch any shit. Night of the Living Dead, Jaws. I can't remember what else was suggested. Evil Dead Two. How about how about modern ones? Because I I I've not seen that many modern horror movies. Post two thousand. Post two thousand. I've I genuinely and this is for the four people who are listening. I am the biggest girl's blouse that you will ever meet in your entire life. I love true crime. I will, you know, look at pictures of true crime scenes and stuff like that there, and, and nothing will affect me. I will watch a movie of a horror movie, and I will stay awake for a week. Right. <laughs> I've, 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 I'll send you a list of the ones that our Twitter followers have been suggesting from around that, and we'll watch them, and we'll talk about them <laughs> next. We'll, they, we'll say which ones we're going to talk about on Wednesday, and then we'll watch not, them for next can, weekend. Can they not be too scary? Because you know I need to sleep. I have got work. What kind of what kind of scary do you not like? Are we talking ghost scary? No, are ghosts are grand. Ghost, ghosts serial are killer scary. Serial killers are grand, but it's 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 that whole kind of it's the psychological horror that gets to me. At the, jump scares, I don't give a fuck about. It's like I could I could shout down the camera as well and do a fucking horror movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? I jump out of trees for an hour and a half, going ah, you know, you know that that's grand, but it's it's the kind of psychological kind of fucking horror movies that get in your brain, you know, it's that kind of it's Exorcist kind of thing, you know, first hour of the Exorcist, where you're sitting there and you're kind of rubbing your arms, going, oh Jesus, what the fuck is going on? Right, I'll tell you what, I'll send you a list of the ones that our Twitter followers have suggested, because there's some good ones on there for that. Okay. <laughs> Mid- God. Mid- Midsummer and Hereditary. We'll talk about them too, especially, so watch them too, because they'll fuck you up. Um, I don't even, I can't even say, you know, because if you say, oh, it's to do with this, then it mm-hmm. gives the game away of what's going on. 
Okay. Well, do you but, know what? what? What I'll do is I'll watch the movies. I'm not going to look up anything about the movies. I'll just talk about my experience with watching the movies. <laughs> yeah, that's all we're going to do. That's all yeah. we're going to do. We're going to just chat about them. Um, so anyway, say goodbye. Uh, bye. Uh, we're going to go get bodywood pecker tattoos.